don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. This week on Social Minds. It was the most valuable thing that Facebook has ever made. The newsfeed redefined what social meant. It turned social media from a place where you went to communicate with others to a place where you went to spend time. We had the pleasure of speaking to Alex Hearn, who is the UK tech editor at The Guardian. Yes, Alex has spent many years reporting on Facebook for The Guardian. And because of that, he's been able to put Mark Zuckerberg's mindset and also the platform into a context that not many people can. We spoke to him about the revolutionary impact that whistleblowers have had and the trying relationship between tech companies and the press at the moment. What does that mean if Google decides one day to tweak its algorithm and the entire country is grumpy because they're marginally overworked? All this and more, coming up. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank welcome. You for um, around. We always start the podcast with an overarching question. Mm-hmm. This week, that is... How has Facebook's digital monopoly changed the media landscape? Gosh, and the overarching answer is, is how hasn't it? (laughs) Broadly, you can split it in two. And you can say that it's changed it by taking a good chunk of the money, and it's changed it by taking almost all the readers. And either of those on their own would be survivable, would be something that you could work around. With both of them at once, it's meant that Facebook's influence has been total. So on the on the money, it's all about the, the notorious duopoly. Between Facebook and Google, mm. those two companies alone account for the majority of the growth in digital ad spending. The internet is huge. The internet is growing. Commerce on the internet is growing. But more than half of that growth is going to those two companies. Mm. Facebook is the smaller of those two. It's, it's actually mostly Google. But Facebook is, for the time being, the one... I think, whose offering to advertisers more clearly overlaps with what the media used to provide, with Mm. what news media used to provide, at least. Mm. Google's ad product, which is uh, overwhelmingly search advertising, is a fantastic product because when someone is searching for a thing, they are the best ever person to advertise for. If you're searching for car insurance, you probably want to buy car insurance. And so showing you an advert for car insurance is printing money. It's perfect. Facebook isn't that. Facebook is instead broadly, and again, like Google, has loads of other categories, but it's much more about trying to find people who, through the demographic information you have about them, might be interested in a particular product, ideally something that they don't even know they want. And that sort of push advertising is what the media was very good at. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it used to be that rather than the demographic information being, we've scraped your age and location and everything else from your use of Facebook, the demographic information used to be, you read The Guardian. And in reading The Guardian... That is in itself considered sort of a demographic identifier. We know roughly your age, or at least we know sort of what your average age is likely to be. We know the spread. We know roughly your income, or again, we know the, the distribution. We know sort of your location, and we know that you are guardian-y. Mm. And so we know that it's probably not really worth it to advertise a Rolex to you. Yeah. Mm. But if we've got some really nice hemp sandals, maybe we'll, we'll throw them <laughs> at that. These days, I think... Those hemp sandal advertisers, they're fully on Facebook. Yeah. Mm. And then the audience side, the other half of it, is all-encompassing. There are only so many hours in the day, genuinely. That's sort of the scale at which Facebook operates. Facebook doesn't talk about it that way, but, but Netflix famously does. Netflix's chief executive sort of talks about how Netflix's competition isn't cable television. Mm. It is Everything. video games, Facebook, and sleep. Mm. They've said it was like Fortnite. For instance, exactly. isn't there? Yeah, yeah, I've seen that quote. Yeah, yeah. definitely because, a smarter way to look at it. Yeah, because 
fundamentally, you're not going to be playing Fortnite and watching Netflix at the same time unless yeah. you haven't absolutely destroyed by the internet brain. Yeah. Um, and because of that, uh, because you're not going to be doing those things at the same time, if you're playing Fortnite, you're not watching Netflix. If you're watching Netflix, you're, well, you are probably on Facebook as well, but you're not yeah. dedicating your time to it. So, no, so is that, Alex, can I ask you that? Is that become a kind of... Because that's a great summary. Has that become kind of uh, exclusive, would you say, to Facebook and these other tech companies that, that you know, that, that separate them from traditional media, you know, the Guardian TV and stuff, that they're not competing. It's not the Guardian competing with the Mail, competing mm. with whoever. It's competing for total attention mm. So completely. I, th mm, I think, you know, one way of looking at it is there is an attention economy, which which The Guardian plays into as much as anything else. And we do obviously compete for time. If someone used to spend an hour a day reading The Guardian over breakfast, but then their driving commute got an hour longer, they might cut The Guardian out of their life. And that, that sort of thing will have happened in the past. It will still happen today. There will be people who find that they just don't have time to read the news anymore. Mm. But I think particularly because we are, we The Guardian produce news, there are other dimensions of that competition as well. One is that we're seen as sort of a bit of an eat your vegetables style of media. People feel a slight obligation to, come up with, to keep up with the news. They yeah. feel like it is good for them to read a newspaper or at least to know what is happening in the world. Mm. And so that means that often they make time for us rather than kill time with us. Mm. And so that means, you know, that the make time with us does mean that there are some avenues of competition where it is much more direct. If you are going to make time to read the news each day, then you are someone that we compete with on news value alone. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And then, then it does come down to still the way we think of our competition more directly, which is how do we make sure that if you want to read the news, you A, go to a news site rather than just searching Brexit on Google. Yeah. Mm. B, if you go to a news site, come to us. And see then how do we make sure that you come to us every day, yeah. yeah, rather than when something's happening. If you come to us every day, how do we provide something for you when you come to us in the morning, when you wake up, and at lunchtime, and when you're bored? Yeah, which has been made harder, I suppose, by Facebook kind of mm. you know kicking news as it were out of the news feed in a way. It's similar and then the... to, to like everything that lives online really. We describe it as an attention economy. Mm -hmm. It's something that we'll advise the clients and even try and remind ourselves of is that it's hard it's easy to assume that when you're posting as a brand, say you're only competing with your like brand competitors, exactly, but actually yeah, you're competing not, with like mm. celebrity videos and yeah. like funny cat videos, which is so much harder to try and beat that level of yeah, attention. Yeah. Um yeah, going back to Facebook, obviously when we spoke Earlier, Facebook's monopoly right now is focused on um, further integrating its own platforms. Mm -hmm. So we've got Facebook, WhatsApp, uh, Instagram, and Messenger. Um, and we know it's recently rebranded those to have Facebook's name on mm -hmm. it. Now, what would you say the repercussions of that are? So actually, I just I just want to ask you a question because this is something okay. I'm curious about, about people who are professionally focused on that. Do you think of Messenger as a fourth platform? Um, since it developed its own app, I would, but not in as strict a sense as I would for, say, WhatsApp. Yeah. Um, because for me, like, I still remember the days when it was a tab in Facebook itself. And I think um, maybe I'm biased because of that. It's hard to differentiate it mentally. But I think now there will be younger consumers coming along who might view it as, as two separate things. Yeah, because so I, I think I find that more really, and more it's standalone. I find that a really interesting disconnect because Facebook absolutely talks about it as four platforms. Mm. For me, I 
don't quite understand how Messenger is a fourth platform, but Instagram Direct isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the answer is, you know, there is a Messenger app and there's not an Instagram Direct app. Yeah. But that's a weird decision of Facebook that it made and everyone hated and it kind of just pushed yeah. through anyway. I it, think for me, it's because people don't really use Instagram primarily for messaging, even though it's becoming more and more prevalent. Mm. Whereas Facebook, even if you're not making statuses, even if you're not posting photo albums, you you're still going to use it to be, communicate yeah. with friends. So I think they, they saw that quite early on and uh, it's yeah. just been, become established. I, I personally don't see Messenger as a fourth platform when yeah. I'm talking about it. I'll, I'll talk Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, Snapchat. Mm. <laughs> Messenger being a yeah. bolt-on of Facebook yeah. and quite annoying as several years ago when you bolt couldn't send messages on Facebook. But Whereas yeah. Facebook would slaughter puppies to replace Snapchat with Messenger. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> whether they're going from four to one or three to one, they are they are merging those platforms. Mm. There, there are some elements of that which strike me as utterly baffling. The branding one being a, a huge example. Yeah. I get why, I get why Mark Zuckerberg would want to rebrand Instagram to Instagram by Facebook. Yeah. He built Facebook, he didn't build Instagram, and on a sort of we're all human level, he wants to get the thing he built out front. Mm -hmm. he, you know, you can be rich as sin, but it doesn't really matter if people think the thing you didn't build is cooler than the thing you did. Mm. So so there's, there's that human level. And similarly sort of Facebook, Facebook as what they call internally to Facebook, Big Blue. So Facebook itself rather than Facebook Inc. Um, again, Big Blue rules Facebook. Big Blue doesn't want to take the back seat, so it stamps its name everywhere else. Mm. But Facebook, the company, I can't see how that doesn't hurt them. Facebook, the brand, is... We could overstate it by saying things like dead or toxic. It, it's not actually mm. either of them. It's got near 2 billion users. Like, yeah. That's strong, and I think yeah. most brands <laughs> would give. Strong. Yeah, yeah. Mo most brands would give a little bit of bad PR for two billion users yeah. and like worldwide recognition. Yeah. up there with sort of the Christian cross in terms of things that people know what it stands for. Yeah, so it's a strong brand, but particularly amongst the people for whom Instagram's a strong brand, Facebook's tainted. It's got flaws, and it's got flaws that are not yet shared by Instagram. Yeah. It's got flaws that are not yet shared by WhatsApp. The number of people I know who, and again, this is like a small, weird segment of society that's not reflected at the scale of millions or billions of people, but the number of people I know who quit Facebook to use Instagram and WhatsApp more, yeah. that that's, I mean, yeah. it's not good for Facebook. Good for Facebook yeah. is someone using all four of their apps. Yeah. But better for Facebook is someone using quitting one to join the other two mm. rather than quitting the Facebook family and yeah. moving still within yeah. that ecosystem. It's something I you? always hit people back with because it's something they, like not everyone knows, but it's something most people know but often forget. Mm. I was speaking to a friend last night um, and he was saying he was sort of done with Facebook, was going to delete the app. And I was sort of had a little chuckle to myself and he was like, what's so funny? I said, well, do you use WhatsApp? He was like, yeah like yeah. constantly and I was like well you do know they own WhatsApp right and my sister had the same thing with Instagram she didn't know Facebook yeah. owned it but do you think there's a part of that that branding um, that is to cater for the people who maybe don't know that these are products of Facebook and in the interest of transparency they're having to come forward and be a bit more clear about it honestly no I I, I really don't I really do think it's the it's, it's corporate pride mm. um, a, a Facebook has never quietly done anything for transparency. 
If they yeah. if they were doing that out of a, a motivation like that, they would have shouted it from the rooftops. Yeah. You know, we want to be clear that we are merging your data across these platforms. So we're putting the and they've not said that. Yeah. And, you know, there is no way that they would do it without. Do you think they're to missing a trick by it. not doing that? Um, you know, frankly, you're more of a branding expert than I am. They, uh, you plural social chain, but if they're going to do it anyway, why not try and squeeze out some of the positivity? Mm. I could imagine them having perhaps thought of that and gone, maybe we shouldn't suggest that we are doing it secretively. Mm. Maybe we shouldn't suggest that there's something bad about shared ownership that we yeah. need to be transparent yeah. about. You know, yeah. if you say we're transparent about this, there is an implication that mm. it's a negative there's thing. Yeah, because there, there's another side to this argument as well, which is, of course, the uh, looming threat that someone in particular, Senator Elizabeth Warren, might break up Facebook and branding them makes it much harder for people exactly. to do that. Although the thing that really is being seen as an event to prevent just that, and it's not just Warren because, of course, the European Commission is also very much looking into it. And mm. um, Margareta Vestager, the, the competition commissioner, has talked using similar language to Warren, less politicised but, but similar goals. Mm. Um, more than the name change, though, the important thing there is a technical change that Zuckerberg announced in uh, this spring to merge the back ends of uh, Facebook's three messaging platforms mm -hmm. so that the dream is you would be able to send something from Messenger to WhatsApp or something from Instagram Direct mm. to Messenger. That is going to be very hard, um, or at least it's going to be a, a lot mm. of work. I'm going to say there's still an argument around encryption because WhatsApp's encrypted and the other yeah, two aren't. So, so one of the... It opened up as a front for battle in the last couple of weeks, actually. Um, it had always been clear from their announcement that one thing that this merger, backend merger would involve is turning on encryption by default across Messenger and Instagram Direct as well. Mm. And that that is a technical challenge um, because neither of those platforms have it right now. But there are large encrypted platforms, so it's not it's not wild. What's opened up this year is um, the sort of mainstream press has finally realized that the phrase is sort of going dark. That will make yeah. millions of messages uh, a day, maybe even, no, probably not millions a second, but millions a day, immediately opaque to not just sort of targeted law enforcement access, yeah. but more concerningly to automatic scanning. And so Facebook Messenger was responsible for 13 million reports of child abuse imagery wow. to America That's last year discovered through automatic scanning and those would disappear. Yeah. And the abuse wouldn't disappear. The people sending images mm. wouldn't disappear, mm. but Facebook would no longer be able to see them. Mm. Similarly, I, I spoke to some Facebook moderators in August who said that one of the things that they work on and that they find grimmest as part of their job yeah. is they get um, solicitation requests flagged. So if an adult speaks to um, a user under 18 with language that suggests that they are soliciting sexual imagery or sexual behavior or favors, that gets flagged, a human reads it and goes, yes, this is grooming or mm, no, this mm. is mistakenly flagged. Yeah. And again, those will disappear as well if if the encryption gets turned on. That Facebook has made some high-level discussion, high-level uh, phrasing about it's a difficult problem that we're looking to solve. But it, you know, if if they turn it on and those reports disappear, 
that will be a very hard thing for them yes, to Yes, opening an absolute can of worms, isn't it? To your, to your point then on that, Alex, because I, I feel like, you know, a newspaper is like, clearly there are downsides to all of this and mm-hmm. they are very mm-hmm. extreme. Now, a newspaper like The Guardian, who have historically uh, campaigned for, uh, you know, privacy, mm-hmm. uh, following WikiLeaks, Snowden, you know, et cetera, and transparency. Um, where, and it's the million pound question, isn't it? Where can you draw the line? Yeah. And what is the Guardian's stance so on it's, encryption? It's really hard. I mean, firstly, uh, I do need to put on my professional hat and say I cannot give the Guardian's stance. <laughs> we we have an editorial board who, who give our stance after uh, great discussion every day, and I am not on it, and it is certainly not sat here. Um, so we absolutely think that there is a right and a need to encryption, that um, the right to privacy is hugely important. What I would say in terms of balancing these issues is that one thing that the internet is very good at is removing friction, making things easier that were possible before but are now quicker it you know it has been possible to send a message from london to new york for hundreds of years mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. just got firstly slowly it's just got faster uh and it's got less and less frictionless you know a telegram was no more instant than an instant message but to send a telegram you had to walk to the telegram office and send it even to make a phone call you had to actively dial someone up there is you know it is frictionless to send a, an im in a way that it's not uh, to send to send a telegram i think what we're starting to get now is situations in which some friction is good and friction isn't a ban friction isn't um a you know a hard and fast removal of a capability mm-hmm. so what i'd say with the encryption point of view for instance is almost by definition the 13 million reports of child abuse imagery being shared over Facebook Messenger are not from diehard committed paedophiles because there are already encrypted messaging platforms. If you spend 15 seconds Googling, you will find out that Facebook scans for child abuse imagery. So what those are is those are people who are not prepared to accept any friction in their life and for who the need for convenience overweighs the need for not being caught abusing mm. children. Yeah. Mm. So that means that kind of, they would never check a box saying encrypt this chat. They would never go and flick a tab to go into private mode. And my question is kind of, does automatically encrypting their chats really, is it worth it for what comes out the other end, which is some people have to spend less time flicking their chats to private yeah. when they do want encryption. Yeah. Yeah. And also, those trade-offs are different for different platforms. Facebook is overwhelmingly used for conversations where encryption is irrelevant, neutral. Signal, which is explicitly a private messaging app, has a very different payoff there. Yeah. If that made you opt in to encrypted chat, that would be a, a huge amount of friction for its target user who has downloaded it precisely because it is yeah. encrypted and private yeah. and fights back against government subpoenas and doesn't save any information for you. So I think kind of that that's the way that I would balance a lot of things on the internet is kind of, I would ask the platform holders, the technology lets you make this smooth and immediate and frictionless, but actually 
is it always like, needed? Exactly. Yeah. And you, you can take that to other places as well, right? Like um, if you have a problem with misinformation yep. on Twitter, yep. the options are not ban misinformation or allow it. One option could be you're not allowed to retweet something. You know, or like literally the retweet button takes a while. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and that, like putting a small amount of friction in there mm-hmm. would not prevent anyone who wanted to retweet something from retweeting yeah. it. There's a middle ground. I, I wanted to very quickly, I'm sort of going off kilter a bit here, but again, with the kind That's of, good. you know, this kind of black and white world almost in terms of, so we're seeing at the moment, um, what I'm trying to boil down to is, you know, with Instagram, when, when Facebook make a change, you know, how much of it is inspired by good intentions and liberal mm. thinking mm. and what, and we're seeing at the moment with Instagram banning likes, um, you know. Hiding the like count. Hiding that, the like yes. count, yes. It seems that, you know, what we've talked there, we've talked about encryption, it seems like it's a button. It seems like one, you had one thing and now we're taking it away. Mm-hmm. It seems like Facebook, a company like Facebook, doesn't really deal in the middle ground of kind of, how can I say, let's put in checks, let's let's make this yeah, better, let's I mean, change actually, the way it's worked. I'd so. say that this is an example where they have. I would say that hiding the like count is a middle ground change that Facebook wouldn't have thought to make even three years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm. It is Facebook going, um, the thirst for metrics has a potentially harmful psychological and social effect, but they have value in other ways. And particularly if you're Facebook, they have value as uh, algorithmic juice. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. Facebook kind of needs the like button to help sort the Instagram feed. It can't just do it on passive, whether you stop scrolling or not, because yeah. that doesn't quite tell you the right sort of information. Yeah. So, so do, you, to, do you, to that question then, do you think they are, on this occasion, acting with integrity? On this one, yeah. I think the thing about Facebook is there are tons of people there who care a lot. I, I do think that Facebook is is starting to head down um, the road that sort of Wall Street was a decade ago, where the really damaging thing for Facebook is they're starting to not have staff who care. It is starting mm. to be, mm. if you're a really socially conscious uh, computer science graduate, not joining mm. Facebook is starting to be never, a thing. You never think about that side, do you? We always talk about user disenfranchisement, but actually yeah. internal, you know, it might be rotten oh, from God, yeah. the inside. Yeah, really interesting perspective. Yeah. Just going back to the Instagram likes, like we've we've talked about it quite a bit. Um, and I have to say I'm a bit of a skeptic on that front just because when they hide the like counts from others, I like you we it. can still see it, yeah, and we're conditioned to know how sure. little or how many likes are good. But to that point of sort of adding a little bit of friction, Twitter actually came out with an update recently because everyone's been calling for Donald Trump's tweets to be taken down if they break policy or community mm. guidelines, which, you know, there's kind of an argument, but they've said, no, we'll keep them up in the interest of newsworthiness, which I do understand. So they've come out and said, what we will do is if something Trump tweets is either like horribly offensive, breaks their policy or is misinformation, what they'll do is block engagement on it. Mm. So it will sit on his timeline. It can be viewed, um, but they won't accept sort of any endorsements in the forms of likes and retweets etc and yeah, I think you that's, can't even reply that's, to them that's good Though you'll yeah. be able to retweet with comment which is an odd exception mm, yeah. so their basic thing is you'll be able to sort of talk about it but 
not engage yeah, with it. Yeah, I guess that's the point, isn't it? Talking about it and not, not endorsing by, yeah. by saying, yeah, this is I, great. I do but. love that policy, though, because like accurately, I think you said it was a policy about Trump. Mm. Officially, it's a policy about world leaders. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> as like though, something they've never had to consider exactly. until right as now. Though, <laughs> as though Angela Merkel is going to call <laughs> yeah. for violence against a particular <laughs> individual. It's like, come yeah, on, yeah, yeah. it's world leader. There's yeah. only one we're thinking about Singular. here. While we're talking about Facebook and other platforms as well, need to get on to Facebook's kind of uh, copying campaign that has lasted many years against Snapchat and the news that has come that Snapchat is now building a dossier. Not even is now, has, it has, has been a long time. Yeah. 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 It, it came out a, f- a couple of months ago that um, so it, it was basically, it's part of a long uh, list of various actors moving to prepare for a likely competition action against Facebook. And Snapchat has, for years now, been just steadily documenting every anti-competitive move Facebook makes. And that goes at the one end from clones. Facebook has actually cloned Snapchat, like made an entire app that does Snapchat's feature set three times, I think. It made Poke that it famously, Mark Zuckerberg proudly showed off that it made it in like three days and it died. It made <laughs> What's one... that saying? You can't make good work quicker. You oh, can't exactly. make it good and quick at the and, same but, time. And it, it, was, it was a really telling thing, actually, because it did suggest that, it suggested that even at the very beginning, Facebook thought Snapchat was a feature rather than a competitor. Mm-hmm. Facebook thought that, oh, Snapchat's popular because it's got disappearing messages. Any app with disappearing messages would be popular so we can become popular. Mm-hmm. And that was grossly unfair to Evan Spiegel, who, for all that it, it's taken quite a long time to grow into the role of public company mm. chief executive, yeah. he's always been a very, very good product designer. Yeah, he's um, an innovator, I think, is, at the end is. of the day. And I think Facebook stopped innovating. Yeah. And so, and obviously Instagram Stories is the absolute biggest um, lift from Snapchat. There yeah. is. It single-handedly made Instagram relevant again in a period when I was writing stories about how Instagram was slowly suffocating because before stories the rise of like the Instagram influencer meant that and you know this this narrative won't be new to anyone here but meant that there was a increasing drive to have perfection on your feed mm. but on a photo-based social network a drive for perfection in your feed is a death knell because it means that people are constantly taking pictures and not posting them to Instagram because mm. they're not good enough yeah. it means that they're deleting content that they've already posted mm. because it doesn't get enough likes and a social network where people are afraid to post is a dead social yeah. network and that was that was the situation that Instagram was in when it cloned stories mm. and stories revived it because suddenly you had stuff that you didn't... Where we'd be if it never happened, hour, then Instagram It's the 24-hour thing, exactly. Content, you didn't have but, to be afraid yeah. to post to Instagram again, and suddenly it became a vibrant social network. I mean, it definitely worked for them, didn't it? Stories is yeah. absolutely everywhere now. Stories it's yeah, it's overtaking, overtaking the feed, the feed in yeah. terms of users, absolutely. like I said, aren't creating statuses or anymore. They're just using stories as their primary way to create content and not yeah. just consume it. But if we go back to the Snapchat dossier yes. and Facebook's tactics to clone all of Snapchat and eradicate it completely. Aside from the success of stories, it hasn't really worked. It hasn't it hasn't replaced Snapchat entirely. Well, why do you think that is? It it's not it's not hurt Facebook and it's not helped Snapchat. Mm. This time last year, I would have been very down on Snapchat's chances. Yeah, no, we I, would like, as well. I I think it's a bit rosy to say that it hasn't worked. It very nearly did work. It yeah. very nearly killed the company. Mm. It definitely meant that for about a year, user growth in America went to Instagram when it would have gone to Snapchat. Yeah. And that nearly killed the company. I think what's come out the other side is that 
On the one hand, Snapchat as a messaging platform amongst its core user base is still remarkably strong. Mm. And messaging is sticky. If you chat to your friends on Snapchat, you're going to carry on by and large snap chatting to your friends on Snapchat. Yeah. It's hard for you to single-handedly decide to switch to Instagram because yeah. you're still going to be getting those messages there mm. and you can tell all of them to message yeah, you, but definitely. they're not going to change. Definitely. So that's really important. And that like that that kept Snapchat alive in the dark days. But actually the other side is is I think nothing to do with the social networks and everything to do with the fact that Snapchat has slowly worked out what sort of business it is, mm. how to sell advertising, how to offer mm. um uh, direct, not direct, well, how to offer direct response advertising, which is yeah. a big commercial offering that they didn't have before, how to sell programmatic. You know, Snapchat basically went public, not just sort of raised money, but it went public before it really knew how to make money. Yeah. I was just about to say that. Spectacles They've aside, sort of it's a far it out cry with the public from the... Eye on them, haven't they? I was going to say spectacles aside, it's a, it's a far cry from um, the camera company it was touting itself as during the mm. IPO stage. So, mm. When it comes to that, that, that phrasing, I have some sympathy for it. I think, I still think that spectacle i mean they they've they've gone to the third generation of spectacles right it, it's they're clearly taking it seriously if they were google by now they'd have canned it because google launches and cans products all the time snapchat again because they've got this diehard product guy at the top of the company they they take these things seriously and they clearly want they're going to carry on putting out spectacles i think forever even if no one buys them um but the camera company line pre ipo i thought that combined with spectacles was a really obvious way to juice investor interest. Mm -hmm. It's a way of going, you're not just buying into a social network with a few hundred million users, mostly in America under the age of 25. You're actually buying into a company that will dominate the way we photograph mm. across all yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and, and It's sexier, isn't it? Exactly. Having a whole and, augmented future pitch. Yeah, and the time that they brought out Spectacles matched with that. Like Spectacles was never going to earn money, especially Gen 1, was never going to earn them a profit. But it was going to back up that pitch to investors. You're buying something bigger than a social network. Mm. Then Spectacles failed and, and it all looked a bit dicey. But these days I'm kind of back on the other side because what I think the camera company vision for Snapchat does emphasize is still one of the big differences between Snapchat and Instagram, which is the only difference that matters yeah. for Snapchat. Like There's no other competitors, no other comparators, which is the whole thing that Snapchat opens into the camera. Snapchat doesn't open into a feed. Snapchat doesn't open into a screen that emphasizes influencers or mm. that focuses on promoted content. Mm. It opens into a thing that says Snapchat is for you to post to and to speak with other people for. Yeah, mm. definitely. You can access content on it. We will show you ads through some feeds, but the mm. core of Snapchat is this camera. Yeah, that must be a hard like hard USP for Facebook to to try and threaten right, or well, try it's and not, clone because they can't really it, do Yeah, that. it's not going to try it. Like for Facebook, although despite all of what I was saying earlier about a social network where people don't post, Facebook is very, very, very happy for the vast majority of Instagram users to post nothing and to passively follow because it makes as much money if you post or don't. And if you're not posting, then that means that Facebook can more easily, you know, pitch to influencers and advertisers saying, look at this huge audience that we've got to sell you, pay yeah. us to access them. Yeah. Snapchat's pitch is, I mean, again, it's the, it's what you get when it's a company that's not focused on making money. And if I was a stockholder, I'd be concerned. But Snapchat's pitch is that you should open up Snapchat and you should view the world through our app. And it's right now that is camera first, creative photo messaging. But they're also quite going quite hard on being an AR company in general. Yeah, mm. Like there is a world in which Snapchat, and, and they already want it 
to a certain extent. Yeah. Snapchat is not unhappy if you open its app and don't message anyone, but instead use its lenses because they're fun and funny. Yeah. yeah. If you yeah. play the games on the yeah. its platform mm-hmm. or on the Bitmoji, if you, f- frankly, like they don't love it, but I get the sense from conversations with Snapchat insiders that they're okay if you open the app, take a picture, use the filters and post it somewhere else because you're mm-hmm. still using their app. You're still spreading the word about Snapchat as a fun AR experience. Yeah, you're still choosing that experience, yeah. aren't you? I have to say, like, Snapchat was an absolute pioneer of augmented reality yeah. technology. And Before to this we called day, AR. yeah, to this day, their lenses are of a higher oh, quality than Instagram's. Like, oh, they, really? they, are, they are really, really good. I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, I've, I've, part of me thinks Snapchat, you know, with all its AR and stuff, it must be laughing at Facebook and Oculus now to some extent with VR, which hasn't seemed to have taken off, you know, from our yeah. perspective. But quickly, I want to ask you to you know for somebody who's covered tech for a long time somebody's covered facebook for a long time can you help us get into the mind of mark zuckerberg ha. now and and facebook and what what is this sort of uh, megalomaniac you could say thinking mm. you know in in one respect he's got snapchat you know to worry about mm. uh, there's the trojan horse that is um tiktok there's the uh, libra scandal that's going on at the moment so i say scandal but you know just mm. getting it off the ground yeah. proving a challenge what what is going through his head and facebook's so i think that mark zuckerberg is feeling under attack and is instinctively trying to work out how to defend the company he built from people he sees as hostile to them. That's where, for instance, this leaked uh, internal meeting where he described... Voice recording, wasn't it? Yeah, where he described um, fighting Elizabeth Warren. Mm. That's where that came from. It wasn't as scandalous as it was made out. He wasn't sort of saying anything like, mm. we will fight to get her unelected. Mm. There's he, speculation he was, as to whether or not it was actually leaked because yeah. he's now come out and said, oh, we're going to start sharing them publicly. Yeah, well, we'll live stream it. Seems a bit it, convenient. It, was, it absolutely was leaked, but I think that was an ab- a, a completely fantastic PR move. Yeah, it was yeah. the right just, approach, wasn't it? Was, it, it yeah. was a judo flip. It was Straight away, momen- I was like, fair play. Yeah, <laughs> take the momentum of your enemy and just use it to their disadvantage. Yeah. Um, I think, though, like he's feeling embattled and that is leading to, on the one hand, some of the sort of boldest moves that Facebook has made in a very long time. This this pivot to what he described as a privacy-focused social network, mm, mm. which was very much privacy in Facebook's definition of it, the privacy to post privately rather than the privacy to not have Facebook looking over your shoulder at your entire digital life. Mm. But there, that you know that came out of him going post Cambridge Analytica, oh, you want privacy, do you? Well, here's privacy on our terms. This is this is what the new Facebook is going to be. Mm. I think the thing that matters most to him is going to be being liked inside his company, being thought of as a visionary leader who can mm. be trusted to make the right decisions. Yeah. There was a really, They'll follow him off a cliff if they believe that. Exactly. And there was a very, very, very telling aspect in this leaked voice recording from, it was from a company all-staff meeting. Um, not the Warren stuff, but that twice in it, he referred to what is clearly a pivotal moment in his self-image, which is when in 2006, Yahoo tried to buy Facebook for a billion dollars. And Zuckerberg rejected it. And he rejected it. Every single advisor he had told him, you should take this. This is more money than you'll ever see in your life. Mm. A significant chunk of his board quit. He was roundly mocked inside and outside the company for his hubris. And it was transparently the right decision. It was the best decision he could have made. And what he's learned from that is if he thinks something is right and everyone is telling him it's wrong, it's still the right thing to do. Mm. And that was backed up shortly after because... um, 
in 2000 and I want to say seven, Facebook launched the newsfeed, which is interesting. At the time, the newsfeed was seen by existing Facebook users as a gross invasion of privacy. Mm. The idea that you could see what your Facebook friends would... <laughs> yeah, right. The idea that you could see what your Facebook friends were doing without having to go to their pages, but it would be taken to you. Mm. That you could spy on the activity of everyone you knew on Facebook all at once, that they could never quietly post a status update and have you not see it. Mm. That was seen as, as a wild alteration. And it was the most valuable thing that Facebook has ever made. The mm. newsfeed redefined what social meant. Mm. It turned social media from a place where you went to communicate with others yeah. to a place where you went to spend time. Mm. It's the reason for our, you could say, our existence yeah. in a way as a social media agency. Yeah, it's just, it changed everything. Massively. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there, there would be no such thing. But what I find interesting is kind of that, that story of how Facebook learnt from Yahoo newsfeed to ignore critics and plow ahead. When I, when I started telling that story like... Three or four years ago, it ended there. And now I think we're getting is we're out the other side where it's actually possible to look back at the newsfeed people and go, maybe, maybe they, they were, were right. right. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, oh, you know, actually, maybe that was a huge, huge invasion of privacy that we have normalized because it's been around for so long that we can't imagine the world without it. But that doesn't mean they were wrong to say mm. this goes against our conception of privacy. Yeah. And this, this is unhealthy for our communities. Mm. When, so Zuckerberg, he... when Zuckerberg says something like, oh, I'm going to trust my gut because it's the right decision, what's right for his company may not be the right decision sort of morally and for absolutely yeah. everyone mm. else that's affected. But also, like, you know, he has defined a state of affairs in which being told by literally every person that this is bad for you and your company still is not enough to change it. I know, and you don't is, want to get to like Trump level where you just don't right. listen to advice. But what I was going to ask with that is clearly there are significantly more people working at Facebook now than there was in 2007. Absolutely. So let's say, for instance, uh, a board of 20 people were telling him, don't do this thing. Now, what do you do when that is now 20,000 people, including moderators who you right. may never meet in your life, mm. backing you into a corner? I don't know. So... It's important to remember that Mark Zuckerberg doesn't have to listen to anyone. He has a controlling stake in the company. Mm -hmm. He cannot be fired. Um, theoretically, Facebook announced in its settlement with the FTC the creation of an independent privacy oversight board that mm -hmm. he doesn't control. But even then... He hired everyone on it. The privacy oversight board is appointed by the Facebook board and the Facebook board is appointed by you know, theoretically appointed by mm. votes of Facebook shareholders, and he holds a majority of the voting rights. Theoretically, if if I was appointed to the Facebook Privacy Oversight Board and Mark Zuckerberg didn't like that, he could fire the board, install the new board, that board could fire the privacy board, and then hire a new privacy mm. board. Like he it feels like they need some sort of system in place. Like, I mean, my mind's just on Trump on politics right now, but like impeachment, where the there has to be a sort of backstop where if he's acting immorally and he can't be fired, there has to be some way that... But the thing is, the they there is him. Yeah, He owns the controlling stake. So there is no sense in which a majority of Facebook's shareholders by voting rights could decide he did it wrong. Mm, it's not a democracy, is it? It's not. He he, it's own, he owns it. And it is it is garbage financial structure mm. because importantly, he doesn't actually own a majority of the company. He has a particular class of shares that hold more voting rights per share than normal shares. It's unusual in wider 
American capitalism, but it's mm. quite common in tech. I mean, again, Zuckerberg would argue it was very good because yeah. it's that sort of thing that's allowed him to do things like reject the Yahoo buyout, push through the news feed, mm. fight to do what he thinks is right. I'm curious, like, power in the wrong hands is obviously a horrible thing. Do we think that Mark Zuckerberg's a bad guy? Is that much power in the wrong hands? Because watching him on Congress, yeah. he was just a clammy, scared man so, who made something huge and looked like he, you know, he was slightly humbled by the experience. My go-to reaction there is that I would say at Facebook scale, it's not the power in the wrong hands is bad. It's that that much power is bad. Yeah. I, I, my, my big sort of root disagreement with Facebook is that I think it is too powerful and I think no private company should be that powerful. Yeah. And that is, that does mean that I empathize with Facebook when they get annoyed at me because I do cover them in a way where there is nothing they can do that won't elicit criticism from me mm. because it's not what they do, it's what they are. Mm. And they can't change that. They and, and yeah, it sucks to be criticised over something you can't change. You know, they, I can say they've had a data breach, that's bad, and they can have fewer data breaches and they won't get criticised over that. But there is nothing that they can do that will stop me going, Facebook is a bad company. Yeah. Because having the power to, I mean, yeah, it's, it is, it sounds conspiratorial to say it because over the course of human history, it has generally been conspiratorial, but... Mark Zuckerberg has the power to decide who the next president is. Mm. He's not used that power, and it might be hard for him to secretly use that power, although mm. I don't know how many people Mark Zuckerberg would have to walk up to and go do this and don't tell anyone yeah. Yeah. to do it. But I would imagine, actually, if he chose the right people, it wouldn't be that many. It's just the option is dangerous. Like, even Apple came out recently speaking about Libra, um, and it was Tim Cook who said, you know, as, as the head of such a big company himself, to say, I don't agree with a big company bringing out a currency because I don't think that they should have yeah. that much power. I think that's telling. I mean, Cook um, would say that, but because Cook, <laughs> Cook, Cook I mean, loves yeah. swiping at Facebook and Google, but it's true. Do the fact think, that he says it doesn't mean it's not true. Do you think that Facebook should be broken up? Yeah. I mean, um, I'm not sure whether it will help anything. I was going to say, with that, well, mm. the point we're at now, would it have uh, better or worse implications for, say, the media? Right, exactly. I don't know. I, I do think Facebook should never have been allowed to buy Instagram and WhatsApp. And I don't think, well, it did, is enough of a reason to not undo that. Mm. Even, you know, when Facebook bought Instagram, Facebook was a very dominant social platform. We already knew about concepts like the network effect that would mean that once a social platform is dominant, it's hard to knock it off. Instagram was directly competing with Facebook on a thing that then was Facebook's absolute uh, core competency, which was photos. Mm. Again, you know, we forget it now because it's not how we used Facebook, but there was a time when the single most important function on Facebook was the ability to upload an album of pictures, yeah. tag people in it and, and talk about it. That was at the heart of Facebook. Yeah. And Instagram was chipping away at that. Instagram was becoming the default place for you to post pictures on the internet. Mm. And that was, and Facebook rightly saw that that would really chip away. All it would have taken is kind of Instagram chips away that. And then another startup that's better at doing event managing chips away at that. Mm. And there is a world in which Facebook in 2010 is irrelevant. Yeah, they've been very clever, like putting their finger in every pie like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they're like continuing to try and do that. But say if we take TikTok, for example, which was spoken about in the leaked Q&A, mm -hmm. uh, it's tried to replicate that with its own app Lasso. Is it Lasso or Lasso? Lasso. Um, and that hasn't really garnered much hype yet. Do you think they'll succeed in being no. able to I mean, remember, TikTok? Facebook hasn't built... Um, built anything for a decade. Mm. Facebook's biggest companies other than Facebook are two acquisitions. Yeah. 
Facebook Messenger, we were we were saying, you know, it's not really another company. Yeah. Credit to Facebook for forcing people, for building a direct messaging service for Facebook that is so useful that it can force people to install another app for it. Mm. But I wouldn't say that that is the equivalent of trying to build a TikTok clone that gets users. It's actually one of my real, you know, it's one of the things that makes me smile as I softly go to sleep at night, is that for all its money and undeniable engineering talent, Facebook is garbage at launching. Yeah. Large, but they never large, used to yeah. be. I think they've well, just they, gotten I, used to I acquiring. And... I think they did. I think actually Facebook has never managed to build something that its users don't want and push it on them. And how did they get the title innovator? By being, I mean, one answer is by being the newest massive company mm. like you know facebook of google apple amazon facebook and google is the youngest of those yeah. and that so true. that that that's not actually that young anymore like those are five big companies but they are all hitting their 20s mm. um facebook's, facebook's uh, young at late teens it, it intrigues me almost that uh you can look at Snapchat in a way and it's almost the result of what Facebook would have been perhaps yeah. had it not have acquired Instagram, had it not have acquired WhatsApp. It is the kind of road of innovation through, you know, on your and, own terms and your own app in a way. And also than, I think Snapchat is what there'd be a lot more of if Facebook hadn't acquired Instagram, yeah. in, and in particular Instagram. Because, and this is where it goes back to sort of what, what we were discussing at the beginning, advertising. Yeah. Um, there's a, and, and I'm, I'm talking to people who know this, of course, but that there's a really important aspect of Facebook and Instagram both being owned by the same company and having the same ads backend, which is that if you want to advertise on social and you're a, even a mid-sized company, you only have to wait, you only have to make one ad, you only have to use one dashboard to get Facebook and Instagram. And what that means, you know, the amount of work required to go from one dashboard to two is enormous. Yeah. yeah. The amount of work required to go from five to ten, yeah. By that point, you have a workflow that requires you to build content that can be easily modified into multiple forms yeah. to have a dashboard of dashboards that lets you post one thing to multiple sites at the same time. Mm. And so in, in a world where Facebook didn't buy Instagram, I think it is very unlikely that there would be one social network that you could do all your social advertising on, which would make it easier for there to be a third, a fourth, a fifth, mm. all yeah, of which definitely. have that scale. I'd and like to see that come has. back around because we're starting to sort of sway brands away a little bit from defaulting to Facebook and Instagram just because it is mm. easy, because it's not necessarily the most exciting yeah. or the best option anymore, and yeah, especially for their own health. And you know, there, there is one go back thing to not putting all your eggs in a basket. Like it helps companies like you because you can be the provider of that expertise for how to how to make stuff that thrives across multiple social networks, yes. how to make yeah, stuff definitely. that is native to everything. Mm. Perhaps if there were, you know, 10 at scale social networks, that would be seen as more of a thing that companies needed in-house as their own expertise, mm. which would hurt social. But I mean, that's, I find it hard to think that a company like Social Chain wouldn't be stronger in a world where there were 15 major social yeah. networks rather than... Yeah, definitely. It's an attention that. agency first and foremost. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Alex, well, one thing we haven't touched on yet, which I, you know, we need to ask you about is the challenges of, the, the challenges of reporting on tech now, because it strikes me that, you know, just from this conversation alone, there was a time where you could sort of back people like Bill Gates mm. and Steve Jobs and get excited about new product launches and what Microsoft has it up its sleeve. To me, watching the landscape as a sort of, uh, you know, just watching it and reading the papers, there is a us and them mentality now, it seems, that is quite toxic. Mm. So I think you're, you're absolutely right that... Um, Tech coverage used to be dominated by what is 
you know, euphemistically termed the enthusiast press. Mm. And it used to be getting excited about new stuff. I think a few things that have changed that matter there. One is power. And there is a requirement to be critical of the powerful mm. in a way that there isn't for the small. What I think that means is that, you know, for a long time, the enthusiast press um, wasn't doing its job, but it didn't really matter. And you see that argument in in other branches now, right? You see uh, that there's there's long running arguments about in sort of film and TV press over whether or not whether or not it matters if you're too chummy with Disney because you need access to the next Marvel mm. press tour. Yeah. And the argument, you know, the argument for not writing scathing pieces based on backdoor gossip is it doesn't really matter, right? It's just entertainment media. And actually then what you mm. get on the other side is something like Weinstein. Yeah. Where you find you that no, that it, it does still matter. Yeah. Like yeah. there are still like there are still people using their power in this industry to rape women. There are people still using their power in this industry to crush competitors. And actually that is the same industry and it is the same press yeah. as the people who won't write a piece of explosive gossip from on set mm. because it would lose them access to the star yeah, if you interviews. let one thing slide, it's like, where do you draw the line? Exactly. Well, and well, if on... you let it slide because you say it's not important, mm. then it's like a that's a really dangerous well, thing. Yeah. On that note, because... I can imagine The Guardian doesn't lose sleep over this, but has there ever been a fear that if we say bad things about be it Facebook or another platform, our access to that platform becomes harder Not just and more a fear, it's strained. happened. It's, yeah, it has. Uh, yeah, I mean... Stop talking. Without getting into the nitty gritty of it, Apple are famous for um, giving withholding access based on whether or not they... The way they would put it is whether or not they have a personal relationship with you. Mm. Um they have broadly three tiers of access. One is uh, you get a new iPhone for an embargoed review. So that means that they go up on stage at the keynote, you get your iPhone like the day after, you publish your review of it about a week before it's on sale, and you and that is typically one UK publication, three others. Next tier is you get your iPhone uh, a couple of days in advance of release day, ready to do a review on release day. The third tier is you get your iPhone on release day. Fourth tier is you don't get an iPhone. Mm. Once upon a time, we were second. Then we published a lot of bad stories. And then we became fourth. Interesting. Can they, can so, they do that to a publication like The Guardian, so though? Who was so we, to it, access is like only for those who print what they yeah, want you to print. They, I mean, they wouldn't say that. And I think that would be... <laughs> yeah. And I think I think that would be unfair on the people who get the access. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there is there is... All the same, it's undeniable that that is how it happens and it is undeniable that on our part, we dropped some tears after shouty phone conversations with them over stories. Mm. Um, I think what, what they found interesting is that we may have been the first company they pulled that with that hurt them more than us. Um, because we're not enthusiast press, we can survive without Apple access. But because we are a globally renowned newspaper, they were getting shouted at by their bosses who were like, why hasn't The Guardian covered this? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, so and so sort of, at, you know, at the one end, you get a site like The Register, which is uh, a UK-based tech site that f is famously acerbic, takes a real sort of red-top tabloid view of the press. The Register is never going to get anything from Apple. And it would be easier for The Register to do their job if they did, but they're fine with it. They're like, it's a badge of pride that we're not invited yeah. to the events. Yeah. Yeah. And Apple no one Apple is ever going to care that the register is not covering them. Yeah. At the other end of things is the New York Times, which Apple 
for for just sort of brand value cannot lose it, it would be apple you know apple staff read the new york times mm. yeah and it would hurt them if they weren't covered in it but they are covered in it and the new york times is sort of in that top tier of 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 good access mm. and that's and this is what i mean that's not because the new york times doesn't do real yeah. hard hitting journalism yeah. it's, it's because the new york that. times has maintained those personal relationships and for every piece of <laughs> I think the thing is, it's not as simple as like good stories or bad stories. Yep. Mm. The thing that Apple really gets, really dislikes is is respect. They don't mind if you write a bad story about them if you treat them seriously. Yeah. So the reason why we really lost out was we uh, mocked them. We didn't take them seriously. We were acerbic about them. Mm. Um, we, it, I mean, it's it's not a specific, it's not the specific example because there is no specific example because obviously you don't get access pulled with someone sending you an email going, you wrote this and that's why you're not getting an iPhone. Yeah. yeah. But in terms of coincidental <laughs> timing, no for you. Yeah. there was a period when Apple was under a lot of attack for not having enough women involved in its keynotes. Uh, I think if we'd just written that, that would have been fine. But what we did instead was... Um, one of our staffers, she tweeted it as uh, sort of number of phones on stage so far, three. Number of vaginas on stage so far, zero. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, that, and that was the thing that they really didn't like. It was that language. Yeah. It was It was not only we're criticizing you for your male-dominated thing, but we're going to be snarky and we're yeah. going to use the word Fun. vagina and we're going to... I mean, it's good social content, though. I've well, got to exactly. say, it's a good, it's a good tweet. It but was. of course, now there's a... A slightly and well, a newer source, maybe not newer, but a bit more prevalent these days, which is whistleblowers. So, are you finding that maybe you don't always need the mm. official access these days? Yeah. So, it's. I think we've actually the Guardian has. It's. It's not. We got lucky, but we have never been as plugged in to the sort of insidery tech press as mm. publications with a lot of people in San Francisco, mm. as publications who do a lot more of the daily sort of news reporting. So we mm. never had, we never published a story about like the iPhone coming out in three months, we'll have three cameras we can reveal. We, we didn't have that sort of connection. And so what we did instead was we built up contacts for stories that weren't that. So our, our fantastic San Francisco team started doing things like speaking to the cleaners and the security guards and the moderators, people who at that time the mainstream tech press was ignoring, but who still had stories. And then, and partly because of our coverage and partly just because the power dynamic shifted and the wider world started looking at tech not as creators of cool gadgets, mm, but mm. as people on par with politicians and mm. nation states who needed to be critically assessed. Everyone else started looking at the, at the same time. And now, yeah, we are, I speak to moderators a lot. There's a nice flywheel effect mm. where if you become known for treating people fairly, for keeping your sources confidential, for yeah. not getting anyone fired, other people will to speak to you. make them feel safe when they're coming from inside as well. Exactly. But yeah. why, why do you think more and more are coming forward these days? Partially because there are more and more. Mm. Tech companies love this idea of scale. They love the idea of being able to build a product that needs the same number of people to work when it has 10 users as to work when it has 10 million and then a billion. And moderators don't scale very well. Mm. And so for a long time, they tried not to moderate. You know, they, they just didn't. Facebook, it's not moderation, but Facebook famously for a long time would launch in countries before it had anyone on staff who spoke the language. Mm. Because that, and it would ask volunteers to translate the UI. Because that's how scale works. You know, you just, you launch in Burma, mm. launch in Myanmar, where you, where you, don't have anyone on staff who speaks the language, but that's fine. You've volunteers have translated the post button. And then the UN says five years later that you contributed to a genocide in the country. Yeah. So now the bigger companies have moderators. Facebook has 20,000 or so. Um, even TikTok has, and, and just TikTok, not TikTok and the rest of ByteDance, has 
in the high four figures. So there's there's more of them and that means there's more leaks. Mm. They're also not on staff, which is money saving mm. and means that a company like Facebook doesn't have to work out how to hire high turnover, low skilled labor in a lot mm. of countries in the world. But the flip side is it means that these are people who don't have devotion to Mark Zuckerberg. They can speak more freely, can't they? Well, not that they can speak more freely because they absolutely can't. They're under the same legal gags as everyone else. But they don't, they haven't been recruited by Facebook yeah, doing a campus They don't feel like part of the team. Yeah, they don't yeah. have that, that loyalty. Yeah. Is that maybe why? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but it's, it always feels so flippant whenever someone from Facebook responds to a moderator coming out and telling their story. They'll almost par them off as if it's not legitimate. Mm. I think it's partially that. I think Facebook has, and this is one of the ones where I don't feel that sympathetic for them, Facebook has a problem of their own making, which is that poor Facebook, because they contract it out, they they didn't decide to bar these moderators from going to loo breaks or to tell the on-site counsellor mm. that if someone has a few too many problems, can they just report them so that they can be let go? Yeah, they can sort of, sort of shirk the responsibility yeah. in that All sense. Facebook does is say, hey, moderation company, we're going to pay you £100 million a year. We're going to send you a billion posts a year and you need to moderate them with 95% accuracy. Yeah. You decide how to do it. It's like, great, that's that's easy for Facebook, but it doesn't mean that if the com- company they've contracted out to is abusing workers, Facebook gets off scot-free. Yeah, exactly. Um, you think with that association people still make, there'd be at least some kind of obligation to treat them a little better. Yeah. One if not more, for their sake, but for their own, like, PR. What, yeah. Well, exactly. And one of the more interesting changes that's happened this year as a result of um, a story published in June about... Apple's moderators uh, listening to Siri to try and improve how it works, or Apple's graders rather than not moderators. Apple is bringing them in-house, which is a disruptive change because it means that everyone got laid off and Apple is now rehiring. Mm. And it's it's slow in the making and it's not all like positive because it also clearly means that Apple is clamping down on leakers yeah. because it will be using people who have that affiliation with the company who yeah. feel loyal to it. But it's a net positive because it means that these people are going to be paid by Apple mm. and, then, yeah. and it's going to be a lot harder. Hopefully have better well-being well, and exactly. processes yeah. in place. In, company, in countries where you have things like health insurance, it's going to be much harder for Apple to argue that it shouldn't include them in its company plans, mm. all this sort of thing. So I would really like that to see that following. And these are the richest companies in the world. They can afford to bring people on staff and yeah, give them exactly. health insurance. Yeah, exactly. So it gives Facebook no excuse with all the money they have. Of course, right. yeah. Um, Alex, very, a very, very final point. Um, obviously, you know, yourself and The Guardian has so much... Uh, in, well, integrity for a start, but also Thank I would you. say the <laughs> I would also say the, the foresight to see things before they happen. You mentioned it earlier. This speaking to people who would mm-hmm. be whistleblowers. Um, I just wondered if, in a final sentences, if you can finish with saying what you see as the next challenges that face you in tech reporting, and also. I suppose what steps are in place to, you know, whatever the next whistleblower is. Yeah, handle whatever Facebook's next evolution will be. So I think the next challenges for tech reporting are going to be around trying to work out kind of how to report on issues where the scandals are caused by the machines, as it were. Yeah, we're already starting to to see these sort of stories coming out. When you what? How how do you report on Facebook's ad algorithm discriminating against uh, people in housing markets or in job markets? How do you do it when the discrimination is statistical, where it is that someone is half a percent less likely to be shown a job ad if they're black, or where someone is 
given an algorithmically determined pay that changes based on whether or not they are predicted to be likely to have children in the next three years. Mm. That's that's going to start happening more and more. It, it happens already. Currently, it is sloppy enough when it does happen that you can see it. Mm -hmm. when, it when you start needing to get that kind of large data, that's hard. That's not something that tech reporters, you know, reporters in general, by and large, are used to getting stories by speaking to people, ferreting it out, working connections. Yeah. yeah. This is, this is, it's data reporting, which isn't a new idea, but it's a new world in which we need to start working on that. So kind of on a very blunt, what is tech reporting? It's that. More generally, the, the, the sort of places that I'm fascinated by are tech that operates at a level that it changes society has not been looked at enough. And by that, I mean things like online dating is the most common way for Americans to meet their partners, full stop. Mm. It is very nearly half of all Americans who meet their partner in 2019 will meet them online. That means that anything that is different in online dating to offline dating will literally be how most children born in the next 10 years, how mm. their parents met. Mm. So That always freaks me out. Right? Yeah. And, and so <laughs> some of that is good. Like we know that online dating results in much more diverse couples on race, on uh, family wealth, on profession. So it means there'll be, thanks purely to the rise of Tinder, there'll be more mixed race children. There'll be more children who had one parent who went to university, but not both or neither. It means there'll be more children whose parents came from different cities, whose parents came from different countries. That, that I think as a Guardian employee, that is a good societal level outcome of technology. Mm. Yeah. But it's certainly not one that Tinder sat down and thought about when they built an app that let you swipe through people on your phone. Yeah. And we're going to get that everywhere. We're going to get like like what happens when your what happens when your daily calendar what you are doing each minute of the day is put together by Google. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. It, and it's great because it means you arrive at work and you pull up your Google calendar and it says like work for you know we've worked out that your working habits mean you should work for 10 minutes. Yeah stand up and walk around, work for 20 minutes, stand mm. up and walk around. Then you've got this meeting and you've given, been given all of that. And that means suddenly like an algorithm is determining your productivity. Yeah. What does that mean when it's scaled at, at length? What does that mean if Google decides one day to tweak its algorithm and the entire country is grumpy because they're marginally overworked? This few, this, yeah. This, yeah, Man, that's, that's full yeah. on Black Mary. You should pitch that one. Definitely. <laughs> this, this new, fit, this, this, well, what a fascinating way to end the podcast on. Unfortunately, we are... I suppose in a newspaper speak at the sports pages at the the, the end. Um, so, Alex, thank you very much. Um, I should say that we we do have a Social Minds Facebook group where uh, people respond to questions. Yeah. Um, I will leave that up to you if uh, you want to join that. But I imagine the tech editor. I'm afraid I do Guardian. not have a Facebook account. Oh, okay, so right. It's, it's that far Classic. out the other way. I was about to say, I can imagine your inbox is inundated uh, already. All the way around, my but, Facebook uh, inbox is blessedly empty and has been since 2013. <laughs> well, if if anyone does, if anyone listening does have any questions for Alex, you can still feel free to post in the group, and we'll ask him on your behalf. Do ask me. Exactly. Do yeah. ask me. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. Fascinating. So cool. Cheers. Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please remember to leave us a review on iTunes because it really, really helps and allows us to bring you brand new episodes every single week. This has been the Social Minds podcast with myself, Theo Watts, Eve Young, and produced by Ollie Thompson. <laughs>